Well, welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're going to continue our series, A New Kind of Community. And a couple of weeks ago, we kicked off the series with a quote from Franklin Delano Roosevelt on the day before he died, on April 11th, 1945, with World War II coming to a close, he penned these words. Today, we are faced with the preeminent fact that if civilization is to survive, we must cultivate the science of human relationships. Not much has changed since 1945. We're still trying to figure out how to understand the science of human relationships. Now, our methods have changed. Over 800 million people are on Facebook, another 660 million are on Skype, another 200 on Twitter. Although we're more socially connected than ever before, we're still trying to understand this science of human relationships. We're trying to connect as a community. Uh, a couple of uh, years ago, there was this article in the New York Times about a man who decided to throw a party using Facebook. He had uh, just about 700 Facebook friends. Anybody reach the 700 mark up there? Uh, he had just about 700 Facebook friends. He's pretty, feeling pretty good about that. And uh, his social life was not where he wanted it to be. So he invited all 700 friends to a party. And uh, he got about a couple hundred no's. He got 60 maybes and 15 yeses to attend the party. So that could be up to 75 people, you know, at this party. He's figuring at least 20 people are going to come to this party and uh, he'd have more friends in this new city than he had before. So on the night of the party, you know, he put his favorite shirt on, he put his man perfume on and uh, he got ready for the big event. And he waited and waited. Anybody want to guess how many people came to his party? One. One person showed up, and after an hour of small talk, that person left. <laughs> because we're still trying to figure out how to build meaningful relationships, how to build lasting friendships, how to build community. And God knows that. God created us for community. In the very beginning, God saw Adam alone, and he said, it's not good to be alone. So God gave Adam Eve and the two became one flesh and they started this community and then the fall happened and then God came back and said, Abraham, I'm going to promise I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a great community and you're going to be a blessing to everyone. And then he says the same promise to David. David, I'm going to establish your kingdom. It's going to last forever. I want to build this community. So Jesus came he says, I'm going to build my church, this community of faith that will love and worship and obey me. And the gates of hell aren't going to be able to stand against it because God created us for a community. God made us for a community. And God is building a new kind of community. But sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we misunderstand this science of human relationships. Sometimes we misunderstand what God is doing in the world as he's creating this community of faith and hope. And love. And that's why in Luke chapter 15, Jesus told three parables. In response to the religious leaders of the day who muttered about this community that God was building. They, they misunderstood this community that God was building through Christ. They didn't understand it. They wanted it. They longed for it. But they questioned this new kind of community. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, we read this. 
Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. He had quite a crowd. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They muttered. They questioned. They argued. What kind of community is Jesus building? How are those that we think are out, the sinners, part of the family, part of the faith, seated at the table? Who can join this new kind of community that God is building through Christ? And in response to their muttering, in response to their misunderstanding, these Bible scholars, this misunderstanding of this community that God is building, Jesus told three parables. Lost son, the lost sheep, and the lost coin. And last week, last couple weeks ago, we looked at the lost coin and the lost sheep. We looked at the lost sheep, and we realized that, that sheep are wanderers. They, they have nothing inside of them to get them home. They're, they're directionless. They're drifters. They, they, they're, there's no way for them to return home. So the shepherd needs to come down, remember, knock them over, tie them down, put them over his back, and carry them home. And we realize that we're like sheep. We need a good shepherd to come to us, knock us down, tie us up, and carry us home. That we're all like sheep, drifting, wandrously, aimlessly. There's nothing inside of us that knows the way home. But we also learn that we're like a coin, a valuable silver coin that we're extremely valuable to God. That God not only searches for us, He not only fights for us, He sent His Son to die for us. That we're extremely valuable to God. That members of this community are priceless in the sight of God. And then finally, last week, we looked at the story of the parable of the lost sons. Probably one of the most famous parables of the scriptures. A story about a man who had two sons. The younger brother basically said to his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead, but since you're not, can you give me my money? Can you give me the inheritance? And the father graciously gave one third of his estate to this younger son. And he squandered the wealth and wild living. And he, he finally came to his senses. He says, I'm, I'm going about this all wrong. And he returns to his dad, he returns home, and the father doesn't shame him, the father doesn't scold him, the father welcomes him, kisses him, hugs him, puts sandals on his feet, robe on his back, welcomes him into the community. But if you remember, the elder brother was upset. The elder brother was angry. And he doesn't welcome his younger brother home. He refuses to enter into the party for his younger brother. And last week, we looked at the heart of the elder brother. See, the elder brother, he heard the music, he, he saw the dancing, he smelled the barbecue of this fatted calf, but he refused to enter the party. He didn't care about his younger brother. He didn't care about his father. All he cared about was himself. And last week we learned that sometimes our righteous deeds prevent us from entering the community that God is building. Sometimes our good behavior, our obedience to our Heavenly Father, done for the wrong reasons, exclude us from the community of faith. And this week, we want to look not only at the elder brother, but at the younger brother. Because the younger brother entered the party. The younger brother was restored into the community. The younger brother returned to his father. But before we do that, I just want to look at this father. This father was just amazing. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, this father saw his son from a long way off. And he ran after him. 
And when he caught him, he embraced him and kissed him, put a robe on his back and sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger, and he welcomed him home. And it was just an awesome picture of God. Because sometimes we're like the elder brother. Sometimes we're lost in our good behavior. And sometimes we're like the younger brother. We're lost in our bad behavior. But the father always welcomes his children home. His father's always ready to throw a party. Because do you remember what moved the heart of God that moved the heart of this father? Do you remember what caused this father to run after his son, seeing him from a long way off? Do you remember what caused the father to have a heart of compassion for his son? Well, there's this phrase that moved the heart of God. It's this phrase that moved the heart of the father. It's in verse 17. It says this, when he came to his senses, when he came to to his senses when he realized that how he was living his life was not ending up where he wanted it to be he repented he returned to his father and the father responded the father ran after him the father moved towards the son after the son came to his senses see last week we completed this phrase it was this god is most happy with me when remember that when we did that God is most happy with me when. And we realize that God is not most happy with me when I have righteous deeds done for the wrong reasons like the elder brother. And God is is not most happy with me when I'm like the younger brother doing all the wrong things for any reason. But God is most happy with us according to the story of the prodigal sons when we come to our senses, when we repent of our wrongdoings, of our sins, and we turn and return to God when we come to our senses. See, this week we want to collectively come to our senses. We want to come to understand our shortfalls, our miscomings, our sins, and return to the Father. We want to participate in this new community that God is building through Christ. We want to turn away from self and turn towards God and experience the party that God has planned for all of us who repent. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 17. Now, in this part of the parable, the father uh, has not yet called and ran after the son. The son has already squandered his wealth. He's already lived in wild living, but then he comes to his senses. In verse 17, we read this. We read this. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have found food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Just circle that phrase, if you don't mind, in your Bibles. Come to your senses. That is so critical for us to understand what it means to live in this new kind of community that God is building. When he came to his senses. And the first thing that we notice about this phrase, when he came to his senses, is simply this. We can't always control this process of repentance. We can't control it. It comes to us. It happens to us. We can't cause it. But we can't miss it. We can't ignore it. Life's circumstances may hit us over the head as a result of our actions, but we may not be able to connect the dots. We might miss it. We might ignore it. But through a variety of different circumstances, through a variety of conversations with family and friends, through natural consequences, we can come to our senses. We can start connecting the dots between our actions 
and the results of our actions. I was meeting with a, a young man uh, a little while ago, and, and, and he was coming to his senses. He realized that how he was living his life was not adding up. He, he was making some choices that were isolating him from his family and his friends. He lost community. And, and he was isolated in his own understanding of himself. And now we're over a cup of coffee, we were talking, and he says, you know what, maybe there is a God. Maybe there's a, a way of living that is different from what I am living. And he started coming to his senses. He started to realize that how I'm living my life is not working. He started to connect the dots between his actions and the results of his actions. And he started to come to his senses. See, the first part of repentance comes to us. But the second part, we do. Verse 18 and 19 says this. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. He says, I'm going to go back. I was wrong. I will move towards the one that offended me and apologize for what I did. He just doesn't think about, maybe I've done something wrong. He doesn't just talk to his friends. He acts. He doesn't just think. He doesn't just talk. He acts on behalf of what he knows to be true. He, he turns to the direction of his father. And he goes home. Action is required, but he doesn't go empty-handed. He has a repentance speech prepared. Now, for those of you that are in need of what do I say to God or what do I say to another person that I've offended, well, here's a great speech that this young man gives as he comes to his senses, as he returns to the community. In verse 18, he starts his repentance speech this way. Father... I have sinned against heaven and against you. Did you notice how we started his speech? He says, I have sinned against heaven. Another translation reads, I have sinned against God. I've offended my heavenly father. See, the younger son understood the vertical nature of repentance. See, when we offend a person, we offend a family member or a friend or a colleague, we not only offend them, we offend our God. King David had a similar repentance speech recorded in Psalm 51. Remember, King David was supposed to be out battling on behalf of the people, but he stays home and he notices another man's wife, Bathsheba, and he not only sleeps with her, he has her wife, his, his Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered. And this is his repentance prayer recorded in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Against you, God, I have sinned. And we say, what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about the people that you were supposed to be protecting, but instead you were back in your palace? What about them? And David says, I first sinned against God. Because there's a vertical component of every sin we commit. You not only offend your spouse, not only offend your parents, not only offend your coworkers, every sin that we commit is an offense to God. It's an offense to 
to God. It separates us from our relationship with God. And we know that, don't we? When we lie, when we cheat, when we do something that we know we're not supposed to do, it hinders our prayer life. It hinders our worship. It hinders our ability to connect with God. There's a vertical component to every sin that we commit. And so the younger brother said, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against God. I'm not only sad for what I did to my dad. I'm not only sad for squandering his wealth. I'm sad for breaking my relationship with my dad, for for refusing to follow my heavenly father's will. I've sinned against God. I've broken connection with my heavenly father. I've walked away from his will for my life. See, the young man deals with his vertical nature of repentance. And then he moves to the horizontal. Verse 21 says this. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Did you notice that I statement? It's a beautiful statement. He says, I've done something wrong. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you, Dad. I've wronged you. My actions caused you pain. He doesn't blame anybody. He doesn't blame his dad. He says, Dad, you know, if you would have been there for me when I was a teenager, I never would have ended up this way. He doesn't blame his, his elder brother. He, says, he doesn't say, Dad, you know, if you had an elder brother like mine, this, you know, this pharisaical, you know, do-gooder, you know, you would have snapped long ago. He doesn't blame anybody. He takes responsibility for his actions. And he doesn't say, you know, if you're mad at me, Dad, I'm sorry. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard that type of repentance. You know, if I've offended you, please forgive me. He doesn't have this condition. He, he says, I've done this wrong. I take responsibility for my actions. I was wrong. I sin against you. I take responsibility for my actions. And he says this, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men, which is really an interesting phrase. Make me like one of your hired men, because a hired man was a day laborer. It's a person who did not live in the home like a household servant. It was one who lived in the city but worked for the family, would come and work as a day laborer or a hired hand. And what this younger brother is saying, he says, I want to make amends for my mistakes. I want to pay you back for what I've done. I want to work as a hired hand to pay back the one-third of the estate that I squandered. I don't want to be your son or a household servant. I want to be a hired hand. I want to make amends. I want to pay you back for, for squandering the wealth that I, uh, the wealth that I squandered. He not only apologizes for his actions, he says, I'm going to pay you back for what I've done. Now, this works very well in a horizontal relationship, doesn't it? If I, if I took Craig's car out for a drive and I happen to crash it, you know, I'm going to say, say, you know, Craig, I'm sorry for crashing your car and I'm going to repair it. I'm going to pay you back for what I've done. That's what we do in horizontal relationships. If I do something wrong, I apologize and I make it right. But that's not how it works in our vertical relationship. That's not how it works in our relationship with God. Because remember, the debt It's too big. The gap is too wide. The wages of sin is death. 
The wages of sin is death. If we want to pay back God for our sins, our wrongdoings, then we must die. Live eternally separated from God to pay back the sins that we committed. The gap is too wide between a holy God and a sinful humanity. We're all like lost sheep. There's nothing inside of us that knows the way home. We need a good shepherd to come after us, search for us, knock us down, tie us up, and bring us home. We need a father to see us from a long way off and run after us and restore us into the community. We need a savior to come and rescue us. I don't know if you've seen... I'm sorry, the son, sorry, the son tried to pay the father back. But the father refused. The son tried to say, hey, I want to work as a hired man. I want to pay you back for the sins I committed. But the father refused. The the, the debt was too big. He refused any atonement for the sin of the son. There was nothing inside of him that he could pay back his wrongdoing and return to the community. Now, I don't know if you've uh, watched the film The Mission, but it stars Robert De Niro, and he's a Jesuit priest in the rainforest of Brazil. And he's doing a, a work in Brazil, serving the people, and he makes a, a, a fatal mistake. He ends up causing great harm to the community in which he's seeking to serve. And he is thrown out of the community. And De Niro, as this priest, tries to make amends for his sins. He tries to pay back the community and God for the wrongs that he committed. And he put this huge weight on his back. And he and has these ropes and this, this long rope full of, of weights of metal. And he's struggling, trying to carry this weight up a steep cliff. He's doing everything he can to make amends for his sin. And yet as he's coming up this cliff, I'm going to show you uh, this clip, I want to show you a clip of when he meets the tribe. He meets the tribe that he offended, and there's this tension. What will the leader do now that he sees the one that committed such a heinous crime on the community? Watch this, the mission. Do you feel the relief? Did you hear the laughter? Did you see a broken man welcomed into community? He deserved to die for the sins that he committed, but the weight of his sin was removed and tossed into the river. He was welcomed home. See, this is the community that God is building. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He took our sin away. There was nothing that we could do to restore our relationship with God, but he took our place. And he doesn't just cut a rope, releasing the weight of sin from our backs. He bore the weight on our backs. He took our place and died on the cross so that we could enter into this community that God is building. He sacrificed his life so that we could enter into this new kind 
of community. And what I find fascinating about the parable of the lost son is about this young man, this young son who was broken and exposed and half naked and the son and the father ran after him and restored him to the community. But when Jesus, the son of God, was broken, half naked and and dying on a cross and crying out, Father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Nobody runs. Nobody comes to welcome Jesus. He died in our place so that we could enter into this community to love and worship God. See, that's what Jesus did for us. He didn't just cut the rope, the weight off our back with a knife. He took the knife. He took our place. He died the death that we deserve to die so that we could live a life of faith and hope and love in the context of community. It's not based on our effort, our good effort, our bad effort. It's not based on our works, but the work of Christ done on the cross. It's because of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us, we can enter into this community and we can live this community of faith. See, it all starts with this one phrase, he came to his senses. When the young boy, when the young man realized what he was doing was wrong, when he was going the wrong way, when, when, it, when life didn't turn out the way that he wanted it to, he returned to his dad, his father. He didn't have to carry up a bunch of weight up a steep cliff. He didn't have to have some self-inflicting wounds. He didn't have to so self-loathing. I hate myself. I've done everything wrong. He says, he just simply had to say I was wrong. He admitted his mistakes. He says, I take responsibility for my actions. And instead of bearing the weight of my sin, I put my faith in the one who died in my place and bore my sin. See, that's how we enter into community. And that's how we live in this new kind of community. It's through the path of repentance. It's coming to our senses. It's returning to God every step along the way. Martin Luther, leader of the Protestant Reformation, wrote it this way in 1517. It was the very first theses of the 95 theses that were nailed to the Wittenberg door. And it reads this way. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he meant the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he meant the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. See, if we want to enter into this new kind of community, our entire lives should be characterized by returning, by turning to the Father, repenting for our wrongdoings, and celebrating with God, welcoming us and others home. That's the community that God is building. All of life is repentance. Certainly there's this point of repentance where we turn from our sin. We, we transfer from light or from darkness into light, from being a sinner to a saint. That point of conversion is the beginning of our repentance, but then it leads to a life of repentance. It's this life of returning to God. It's this lifestyle of turning away from pride and arrogance and self-righteousness and turning towards 
our Heavenly Father. There's this lifestyle of repentance. We don't have to blame other people. We don't have to minimize our sin. We don't have to rationalize our sin away. We don't have to pretend that our sin does not exist. We don't have to look good on the outside, but on the inside, we're wasting away. We just simply need to turn. To turn to our Heavenly Father, admit our mistakes, our brokenness, our sin, and be warmly welcomed by our Heavenly Father. See, all too often, we we think our relationship with God goes like this, that I'm over here and God's way over here. Because of my sin, because of my busy life, because I'm just not even connecting with God, there's this big gap between us and God. And there's nothing that I can do to, to, to bridge this gap, but that's not how it is at all. We're not way over here and God's not way over here. God's right here with us and all we have to do is turn. All we have to do is turn and repent and acknowledge God and our mistakes. And what does God do? He strikes up the band. He kills the fatted calf. He throws a party for everyone at any time when we repent. See, according to the story of the lost sons, God is most happy with me, not when I'm doing good things for him, not when I'm wandering away, but when I turn. When I turn from myself and my selfishness, he strikes up the band. He kills the fatted calf. And he puts a ring on my fingers and sandals on my feet and restores me into community. Luther was right. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he meant the entire life of the believer should be one of repentance. The entire life of a community of believers should be one of repentance. That's how we build this new kind of community. That's how we respond to this wonderful sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. We continually turn, turn, turn to our Father who strikes up the band every time we turn. As the band comes up, I just want to close with just a couple questions to have you reflect upon this message this morning. Just a few questions that you may want to write down, you may want to talk about in your community group, but the questions are simply this. Have you come to your senses? The younger brother recognized his sin and he returned to his father, but the elder brother did not. Even when the the, the father pleaded with the elder brother. The elder brother still did not enter into the community. He never came to his senses. Have you? Have you come to your senses? Have you realized your sin of self-righteousness, your sin as a wanderer? Have you come to your senses? The second question is simply this. Are you living a lifestyle of repentance? Repentance is certainly a one-time activity where we turn from death to life, from darkness to light. But then there's this lifestyle, there's this prayer life where we acknowledge our sin, we confess our sin to God and to one another. Are you living a lifestyle of repentance? Because that's what it takes to participate in this new kind of community that God is, is building. It's this lifestyle of repentance. And finally, would you be willing to talk about your lostness with others? Would you be willing to let other people into your life and confess your sin to one another? Because we all have blind spots, don't we? I've got blind spots, and you can see my blind spots. And you've got blind spots, and I can see your blind spots. But the beautiful thing about community is that we can help one another see our blind spots, see our, our sin, see our pride, and we can restore 
one another into community? Have you come to your senses? Are you living a lifestyle of repentance? And would you be willing to allow people into your life so that you can enter into this community? Repentance moves the heart of God like nothing else can. Repentance moves the heart of God. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this word this morning. We're so thankful for the story of these two lost sons and this extravagant father. And we ask, oh Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in us that you would convict us of our self-righteousness, convict us of our sin, so that we might come to our senses. So that we might hear the dancing and the music and smell the barbecue of a calf and experience the embrace of our Heavenly Father. Lord, we just invite you to do a work among us, to repent, to return, and to enjoy the party of this new kind of community. I pray this in Jesus' name.